G'day and welcome to the podcast of Outpost Church in McLaren Vale. We hope you find this encouraging. Not just to, to rescue us, not just to save us who need you so desperately, but also to bring your work of restoration and redemption to this world uh, through us. And that is remarkable. That is amazing that you would use the weak and despised things, the foolish things, you would use even us as your partners in your work of reconciling the world to yourself, of restoring all things, of making all things new. And we ask that you would open our eyes to this today. We ask that we would simply trust in you. In Jesus' name, hallelujah and amen. So, I'm going to read out just a little more um, from Matthew chapter 21. So we read the first part. Um, I considered going on with the play, um, but decided I'd just, you know, cop out and read out the last little bits. Because more scenes, you know, it's just going to get complicated. All right, so after Jesus enters Jerusalem, what next? If you've got your Bibles, um, yeah, having them open to Matthew 21, I highly recommend All right, so I'll just back it up a tiny bit. I'll just read out verse 10 and verse 11. So when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in uproar, saying, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple and threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. It's interesting what stands out to you on different occasions when you read something that's familiar. And whenever I think of Jesus going in to cleanse the temple, um, like I think of the whip, which we hear about, don't hear about in this particular gospel. Uh, I think about the turning over of tables, but I don't even think about the chairs and the practicalities of turning over the chairs. So here he is, not only overturning the tables of the money changers, but the chairs of those selling doves. That's intense. Jesus comes in and he rebukes them for what they're doing. He physically makes things very difficult for them to continue doing things as they just were. It's a really confrontational thing to do. And then, let's look at what happens next. Verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonders that he did, and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus replied, Yes. Have you never read? You have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. Where would one have read that? Any ideas? Yeah, which one? Psalm 8. Wow. Great Bible knowledge in this room. It's fantastic. Then he left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. Boom. That's a mic drop moment. Jesus comes in, and he cleanses the temple, and then he heals people, And then he unpacks a couple of things for the Pharisees, 
and then he heals. Really interesting. There was an event that happened a couple of hundred years earlier that gives a little bit of context to what Jesus does on this occasion. We find it in a Catholic Bible, but we don't find it in the Protestant Bibles. We find it in the book of Maccabees. So there was a, an issue for the Jews in that they were oppressed. Happens a, f- a fair bit throughout history. At this time, it's the Seleucids, and they are oppressed under them. There's even this guy who sacrifices a pig. Remember, pigs are abhorrent to the Jews. They're not allowed to eat pigs. This guy sacrifices a pig in the temple and forces the priests to eat the flesh of the pig. So this is just the most abhorrent thing that could happen to the Jewish people. But then there's uh, the the Maccabees that come in, um, and they are the saviors. So these are the guys that are going to get justice, and they're going to bring it at whatever cost. And so it's an uprising, it's brutal, um, but they do restore a sense of peace. And there's a somewhat mirror image of what Jesus does with Jesus riding in on a donkey um, with uh, Judas Maccabeus. As he comes in, um, more likely on a war horse, there are people that are waving palm branches. And when he arrives in Jerusalem, he cleanses the temple. They ritually purify the temple after this event that had taken place of the sacrificing of a pig uh, in the temple. And so there's some parallels between what had happened 150, 200 years prior and what happens here with Jesus. But there are some big, big distinctions and differences. Like for a start, Jesus isn't coming in and bringing peace and order by force. But you can picture all the people that are there with Jesus coming in they're crying out. What's the, the key phrase we think of with Palm Sunday? Hosanna. And what does Hosanna mean? Something different than what I just heard. So save us. So Hosanna literally means save us. And so you've got these people who are in desperate need. Can we get that next slide, please, Dave? So you can see oh um, Lord, those two different groups. So you had... David, he's crying out, save me. He's crying out, help to God. You've got the poor and afflicted ones represented in those later Psalms. And here you have people that are doing a very similar thing. They're crying out, save us. We need help. Save us. Jesus comes in. And what do you think for most of the Jewish people of that time they wanted saving from? The Romans, the big problem for Jewish people was that they were not autonomous. So they were under the reign and the rule of Romans who didn't fear God, who didn't know the name of Yahweh, and they were under their reign and rule. And that was a big deal for them. And so they're crying out, save us. And so as Jesus comes in, there would be this hope and expectation that he is going to save them from what? From the Romans. He would come in and he's going to sort out the Romans. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But what does Jesus do? Instead of coming in and sorting out everybody else, Jesus comes in and sorts out them. 
as Jesus enters Jerusalem, he doesn't deal with the problem outside of the Jews. He deals with a very internal problem. He deals with them as a nation. He deals with their center of worship, the temple. He comes in and he deals with them first and foremost. It's often talked about how you start the week. So on Sunday, Jesus comes in and people are crying out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And at the end of the week, they're crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And I think this is one thing that's helpful to understand in how you get from Sunday to Friday. You see, they're crying out for a savior, but they're prescribing what it's going to look like. We need saving and they are the problem. So if you can deal with them, we will be fine. But Jesus goes straight to the heart. And he deals with what was actually a far bigger issue. Whilst Roman rule and occupation was huge for them, what was even bigger was a misunderstanding of worship. A misunderstanding of who they were and what they were charged to do. And as we sit here, stand here, I reckon we do the same thing. I reckon time and time again, we cry out to God saying, save us, and we prescribe how it needs to look. We prescribe what it is he's going to save us from. And we tend to look out there with those problems. If you can deal with this, if I can have this in my life, if I can have less of that in my life, then everything is going to be okay. But he cuts straight to the heart. The temple was so significant in the life of a Jew. The temple was the heart of their worship. And not only was it the heart of their worship, it was the place where heaven met earth. The Holy of Holies was where God dwelt. Guess what? There's a new temple. And it's us. Jesus goes and he cleanses the temple and he's cleansed us. He comes and he deals with us. In the same way that he dealt with the temple all those years ago, he comes and he deals with you and he deals with me. There's an old, um, an old analogy that goes something like this. And it's speaking about the lordship of Jesus and how we'll often say yes to one aspect of who he is and say no to something else. It's like if I was to come to your house and I knock on the door and you're very gracious and you let me in, but you say, Shane, you are absolutely welcome, but Rainer, you need to stay on the doorstep. It's not going to work. You can't have the Shane without the Rainer. It's just not going to work. You can't have Jesus the Savior without Jesus the Lord. You can't say, save us, but I'm not going to submit to your way of going about it. Save me, but I'm not going to submit to what you tell me I need to do with my life. It doesn't work. You can't have 
bits and pieces of Jesus, it's all or it's nothing. If he, I think this was a C.S. Lewis quote, if he's not Lord of all, then he's Lord of nothing at all. So in our life, if he is going to be Lord, he needs to be Lord of everything. And the beautiful thing is, is that he is gracious and he is gentle with us. And what he actually does is better than what we could have imagined. It might not feel like that a lot of the time. And we have our opinion about how we think it should be done. But let's not tell him how to do his job. All right? He is the Savior. He knows how to save. He is the Lord. We need to let him be the Lord that he is. I'm going to keep it fairly brief tonight. And I'm going to ask you simply to reflect on a, a couple of questions. We're going to have two more songs. Um, but before we do that, uh, there's just one more slide. Oh, this is a helpful one from Andrew Murray. We find the Christian life so difficult because we seek God's blessing while we live in our own will. We should be glad to live the Christian life according to our own liking. slightly older English that last line that could be misunderstood we think it's okay to live the Christian life according to our own liking it's not okay so Jesus we, we started looking last week at the Sermon on the Mount we looked at the Beatitudes and we looked at how everything is flipped upside down so what the world sees as blessed is not actually blessed what the world sees as being cursed is actually a blessing in the kingdom. And the only reason it's a blessing is because Jesus is in charge. And so the, the thing that we need to understand is that when we say yes to Jesus, it's his way. It's his will and it's his way. It's not ours. And he'll do something so much better with our life than we ever could. So I simply ask you, this is the next slide, what do you need saving from? So for me, this past week, has just exposed an idol in my life, um, an idol of running, where it's become a big deal for me, and running is great, isn't it, Elo, isn't it, Simon? Um, running is a beautiful thing when it's in its right place. And for me, the training element um, became such a necessary thing uh, that it trumped my relationship with God on Sundays. Where I was like, no, I have to have this time this has to be an element, even if I'm not going to have that time alone with the Lord, I'm going to force that element in there. Um, and it was just a, um, yeah, a real wake-up call in this past week of that thing that I had allowed to become an idol, let a good thing become an ultimate thing, let it become something that would, um, would give me my sense of identity and my sense of purpose rather than a great bonus that sits on the side. Um, yeah, so I ask, what do you need saving from? That, that first question, what does it mean for you that Jesus is Savior and Lord? What is a step of faith that you can take this week, believing that it is God who saves you? And what is threatening people who you care about? So this image that we just had acted out for us with the triumphal entry, you've got people that are crying out, save me. What is it that you're crying out, save me from? And it could be 
for you, something like what I've just described, where you've allowed something to take the place of God in your life, and you need saving from that. It might be that there's stuff that's outside your control that is just wreaking havoc in your life. What do you need saving from? And that last question is really for those that you care about. What do they need saving from? And a chance just to cry out on their behalf. Save me. But this is all done in the context of Jesus' lordship, his authority, his rightful place. So we're going to take a couple of minutes um, to just share with someone next to you. Feel free to stand up and um, seek someone else out. But let's chat with someone um, and take a moment to pray for each other. You may not finish uh, doing that before we start singing, in which case feel free to pick that up afterwards. So I'll pray and I'll ask that you come and depart now. So Father, thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done and for what that means for us. Thank you that we get to be together right here, right now. Thank you that you are desiring purity in each and every one of us. Thank you that it is a gift that you have given. It is your work that purifies us, and we simply want to partner with you in your good and your perfect work. So, Lord, would you uh, identify things for us? Um, Would we be honest and open with one another? I pray, Lord, that uh, you would be clearly at work, that we would sense your presence, sense your love, and have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so just encourage you to, to be open and honest with each other and to keep that in confidence. When someone shares something with you, then you keep it in confidence. It's not wrong to share with others, of course. So let's listen to each other and pray for one another.